Welcome to Bible and Stuff, a podcast about the Bible and stuff. I'm Glenn. And I'm Tanner. And this week we are continuing our uh, walkthrough of the book of Joshua. Our series is probably the better word. I just couldn't think of of it on this It's kind of a jog. I mean, we're going a little brisk. Yeah, a bit of a jog. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it could have been faster, but you know. We like to stretch it out Tanner. at least an episode but, or two. But yeah, Tanner. it's like but it's like when the Bible says "but God," you know, in his, his you know glorious <laughs> kindness. But Tanner is like the opposite effect. It's like, well, we try to do something good, but Tanner. <laughs> Before we hop into this, I just uh, there's just this weird thing with my kids lately. So they, uh, my son, anytime he's trying to like get my attention and talk to me about something, he always goes. But, but daddy, I, and I always jokingly go, who's butt daddy? And like, just kind of like making them laugh and everything. And yeah. then they start, it's just this whole name thing. Then they went from calling me daddy to occasionally they slip out dad. And I'm like, what did you call me? No, you call me like daddy. I'm still your daddy. You're, you're still young. Like, <laughs> but then out of nowhere, like a month ago, uh, Lincoln goes, Hey, Uncle Kevin. And I was like, who? First of all, not, there is no Kevin in our family. Oh, man. Like, what are you talking about? And and then my, my nephew started calling me Uncle Kevin. They like, it's just this joke with them now. I finally found out. I, I was like, okay, but really, who's Uncle Kevin? You get me, <laughs> get me yeah. nervous. Yeah, this is weird. And uh, he's got a friend from school who has an Uncle Kevin. And, and at school, I guess they call everybody that, too. Gotcha. So I was like, oh, okay, still weird, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I don't need to spend too much time on it, but my kids also really like the word "butt." Um, so that's a thing in our in our household right now. It's gotten better, but there was a point where, like, I don't think my son could say anything without saying without "butt" <laughs> or "doo doo" or like in in around it before or after it, whatever. It finally yeah. got to the point where I, I had to pull him aside. On a couple of occasions, and be like, "Dude, you have to stop." Like he's three. Like I get it. Any yeah. any mention of that word to him is hilarious. And our daughter, from like the moment she was born, has always thought potty humor was the best kind of humor. Um, but <clears throat> we've, we're finally getting it tamed down. So I appreciate yeah. your joke, but I can't. I have to abstain because it'll start an uproar in the Brit household. Yeah. Of. Uh, all kinds of toilet related words that we we're not allowed to use anymore. I mean, they're all like they're all tame toilet related words. Yeah. But it's like, you know when kids tell their own jokes and it's like, why did the horse cross the road? And it's like to get to the tree and then they're like ha ha. Right. They did those, but they were all poop related. <laughs> like they were all like fart, booger, poop, whatever. Really. Anyway, this is a weird way to start off. <laughs> That's fine. I got a good transition. Okay. Now let's talk about Daddy God. Uh, (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Don't do that. Sorry, Uh, I know. It weirds me out. I know it weirds other people out, too. Yeah. Some people do that, and I'm I'm glad they feel secure (laughs) enough. Um, Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Okay, Joshua. Uh, So last week, we did kind of like an introduction of sorts, and this week, we're, we're really focusing on chapters one through five, uh, given some of the highlights and, and main points that we see there. Yeah, as long as there's no butt tanners, I'm going to try not to bloat this yeah. into a 
to 10 episodes. It should be. We did an intro, and then we do about four. So we have this section. Yeah. We have the section after this, which kind of talks about all the different battles that happen. Then they divide up the land is the next section. And then there's kind of the closing couple chapters here. That's the that's the outline for where we're going. That's the current plan, yeah. Which today puts us in roughly chapters one through five. Um, yeah. And, and the overall theme that we're going to be looking at for this section is Joshua is the new Moses, right? That's kind of how God is setting him up before the people of Israel. That's certainly how the text is portraying him to us. And as the new Moses, he's going to do some very Moses-y things, which all have significance. So we we covered this last week. We kind of covered chapter one last week, uh, but not really all of it. So just in by way of review, Moses dies. God calls his assistant, Joshua was his assistant, to be the new leader. And as I said, kind of the new Moses. And so here's some of the things he does over the next few chapters here. He calls the people to obey the Torah. That happens in, in chapter one. And we talked about this last week. We talked about it a little bit in something we're trying out, which is called More Stuff, which is these little bonus episodes that we're doing in preparation for possible release <laughs> at some yeah. future date. So if that's something that interests you, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And that may affect when that date is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, he calls the people to obey the Torah. Then, end of chapter one, chapter two, he sends spies into the land. That's something Moses did. Uh, and those people, as we talked, touched on some, were afraid by what the spies found. They basically said, there, there's no way this is going to happen. Uh, but when hmm. Joshua sends spies, it actually goes pretty well, as we'll see. And then, lastly, he's going to lead the people into the promised land. That was like Moses' whole job until he kind of got fired there at the end when God said, hey, you're you're not actually going to get to do this because of your anger, and that's a whole other story. But the whole point, these things, it's not the, it's not the entire reason they exist, but... I think it's the, the reason they're portrayed the way they are in the story is to show us, look, Joshua is filling these shoes of Moses. He's now the leader of Israel. He is now going to lead them in obedience of God and therefore going into the promised land. Yeah. And so in one way, that's the whole theme. We're going to see as we parse all these out that the whole point of that is to show that Joshua also actually points to Jesus. He, yeah. he reflects Moses in the past, but he's also pointing us to what Jesus is eventually going to come and do and be for us. Yeah, we're going to get into this as we're we're walking through this week. But um, watching a Bible project, they, they do those like intro videos on each yeah. book of the Bible. They were talking about how Joshua, like first going into this role of leadership, wasn't really like looked at as the new Moses uh, yeah. until we get to this like certain point uh, that, that shows a reflection of Moses. And I think I also mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. We sort of see the same thing with Jesus where uh, his followers call him out and, and say like, well, Moses did this for us. Like, are you mm -hmm. going to do this? Basically also realizing he's like Moses, but not realizing that he's the Messiah. Uh, and so I just, I, point that out because I think it's a really cool connection between all of them. Yeah. Um, and, and really the section that we get to 
where they start to be like, oh, okay, he is taking over for Moses. Yeah. Is also something that is similarly played out through all, through each of their lives. Um, it has to do with water. We'll get to it when we get yeah, there. Yeah, but say, don't show to the cards too now. much. <laughs> uh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I, w- I will clarify and say, I think it's, you said his followers. I think it's more so the Pharisees, but the that call him out about the things of like, "Hey, Moses, let us have a certificate of divorce. Why don't you?" Well, I was thinking more so when they bring up this idea of like Moses gave us manna from heaven, sure. and Jesus is like, "Well, Moses didn't do that. My father did that, yeah, and yeah. I am the better bread of life." And yeah. so, like in that sense, they're like. They're looking to him as if he's a Moses, but he's showing sure. that he's well, not. Well, yeah, and, and there's certainly uh, all these aspects in which they have ideas of Jesus that are based around things like that that aren't necessarily actually an accurate depiction of who he is. Anyway, we're kind of talking about what we're going to talk about, so let's just talk <laughs> about the thing. The meeting before the meeting. Yeah, yeah. and it starts in chapter 2, where, as I said, we're sending spies into the land now. The same thing Moses did, and essentially the idea here is, what are we working with? <laughs> like we want to, we're going to go into the battle with these people. Can we at least, you know, do some reconnaissance and know uh, what it is that we're going to have to to conquer? What it is that we're going to have to go up against? And in order to get into the promised land, the first place they have to go through is Jericho. And we find out later Jericho's kind of this big walled city. It's very intimidating. Uh, and so they send spies there to say, like, hey, tell us what we can do to to figure this whole thing out because uh, it's a little scary not knowing anything and just seeing uh, what Jericho looks like. And so these two spies are sent out by Joshua. They come into the house of a prostitute named Rahab. And after they go in there... The king kind of gets word of like, hey, there's these dudes, they're in this lady's house, they're probably not someone we want around here. And so he sends men to Rahab to basically say, hey, what's the deal? Where's these dudes? We need to get them. And if you heard the story before, you probably know Rahab hides them and lies. She hides them and is like, I don't, yeah, they did come here. You're right, you're right. But uh, they left. And they went that way. It's like kind of the classic <laughs> yeah. scenario there. Like, go, go chase him that way. And so those guys leave. They don't find him. And then we see this cool conversation between Rahab and the spies where she basically says, hey, I've heard of the things the God of Israel has done. And yeah. they're pretty awesome. <laughs> and she's like, we've all heard of it. And... She describes it as like their heart melting, kind of like these tough men of Jericho becoming afraid of hmm. uh, like wetting their pants a little bit of like, oh man, this dude's splitting open seas, like killing entire Egyptian armies behind them as they cross. This is this is a crazy thing. Um, and so she is basically telling them, I believe, like I have faith they have seen the mighty works of God and we kind of see through the actions of the king and and sending the people to to get the spies that they're hardened. They're preparing for war. They're preparing to face this, you know, mighty army that they foresee. And she's the opposite. She's like, I fear the Lord 
in in a good way. The the fear of the Lord that the Bible talks a lot of great things about because she knows what he's like, because she's seen how he treats his people, how he protects his people. And so she mm. helps them by hiding them and lying about where they went. And she asks them, hey, when you come back, like I've treated you kindly Will you please treat my family kindly? Will you spare yeah. them? Because I know, I know she has faith. I know you're going to come in here and do what you're supposed to do, which is take over this place. But I want to make sure that we can still follow God. I want to make sure that that we're not also demolished, if at all possible. And so they tell her, yeah, take this scarlet cord, hang it in your window. That way when we come... We can tell from the outside, this is the people we're not going to mess with. Yeah. And so that's kind of the story in a nutshell. And again, this is all pointing towards Christ. I mean, every little vignette story we're going to look at today, this being the first of three, is going to have some implications for how we view Jesus or how we think about Christ today. And you can even see it in the imagery of all these different things, particularly when you when I see the scarlet cord thing, like my my ears just perk up because I'm scarlet blood people, you know, they're being passed over. This seems like some themes we we hear in the Bible. And so this is really showing us the two ways that we or people in general react to God. We either see who he is and what he's done and we react by hardening our hearts or we react like Rahab and we worship like she's essentially worshiping what God has done and doing his will by protecting his people and then by the scarlet cord which is just like the Passover story that we see when Moses was getting ready to leave the people out of Egypt the the blood on their door they're passed over God's wrath like yeah. God's wrath passes over them death passes over them so because of her faith in God, she's delivered just the way they were in the Passover. And of course, that's just the way we're delivered by putting our faith in Christ. And now his blood covers us and we're delivered from death. We're delivered from God's wrath. Yeah. No, I, I love that. And I I appreciate you pointing out that scarlet cord Passover uh, representation there because I think that could that could easily be overlooked, but it it does give this significance and a look towards the future, right? I and we see it everywhere. There are constantly things that pop up in Old Testament that are just pointing to like this is going to happen again one day, but it's going to be better. Jesus is better, right? <laughs> it always yeah. points to that. Yeah, this isn't this isn't in my notes, but something I I was realizing as I'm reading through these passages is a lot of times I think as as Christians, Old Testament is overwhelming to us to try to figure out what the heck's going on. Uh, and couple that with the fact that often when someone becomes a Christian or someone's interested, we point them to a gospel, which I think is great. Mm-hmm. Like we're post-Jesus. Let's just let's go straight into the good stuff and talk about who he was and what he did. And I think those two things can actually work together to make our reading of the old testament not so intimidating if you know the story of jesus and if you really kind of steep yourself into some of the imagery there the the, you know the blood the tree the crown of thorns the three days the tomb like these are all things 
And then, of course, he's the lamb of God. He's a sacrificial lamb. Like, if you just start to yeah. pick up on all these themes, images that are used around the story of Christ, a lot of the Old Testament is going to make more sense and be almost blatant in the way that it's pointing to him. So the Scarlet Chord's a big one, obviously, in this story, but you also, there's a couple times in these first couple chapters of Joshua where they say three days, so we know what happens on the other end of three days. Like, uh, So that's that's a common thing. Um, that Yeah, it's just a bunch of little things yeah. like that start to jump out at you. Like, I think uh, I just recently, for church, taught a little class on uh, Abraham and Isaac. And you see, like, Isaac putting the wood on his back that's going to be the sacrifice. And there you think the sacrifice is carrying the wood on which he yeah. will be sacrificed. Like, things like that are going to start to, like, fire off all the neurons in your brain. And you're, you're able to go, oh, I know what's happening here. Like yeah. Maui. I see what's happening here. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, actually just going to yeah. go towards this idea that it, it's kind of like for for most people's progression of a Christian walk, you like you were saying, you, you often start off with the gospel yeah. um, as the centrality of, of what leads you to believe. And so I, I kind of think of New and Old Testament in the same way that I think of like... Um, almost like a TV show or a book series like Star Wars, I guess would be a good example, right? You, you get those first few movies that came out kind of start in the middle of this bigger story. But as you're like, you watch them, you know them well, and then you go back and they, they have these prequels that then come out and you see all of these little things that point to the other movies. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same with the Bible. It, maybe it's a little harder because there are different authors and it's maybe written different in different ways, but you still get that same sense of, yeah, there's little hints uh, constantly building to, to point you toward what's to come. Yeah. Uh, and I'll excuse the fact that you just compared the Old Testament to the prequels of Star Wars. <laughs> uh, I'm just, I'm just kidding. It was not meant to be a direct connection. <laughs> I'm not a huge Star Wars fan, but apparently the prequels are uh, <laughs> no. not people's favorite. Uh, yeah, no, no. But I completely agree. If you have sat through like your high school English class and talked about foreshadowing in a story, that's <laughs> the Old Testament is doing so much of that. Uh, I mean, it's also very real and true for those people at that time. But for us, yeah. it can both mean that and take on this entirely new meaning and open up a lot of who Jesus is to us. So awesome. So as we keep on moving, we're going to cover two more stories from this section of Joshua as soon as we get back and talk about how they also show us different things about Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed, but the whole time we've been doing this podcast... We've been in a coffee shop. It's crazy the amount of editing that we can do to drown out all of these crazy noises that you hear and just hear our voices. But yeah, Tanner is right. We are in a coffee shop and man, does it smell good in here. Yeah, we're just taking a quick break as this nice lady pours us some more coffee. I mean, you can hear them grinding some new beans in the back. It's it's a good place to do it. It's great. And as you've probably noticed, Tanner and I have lowered ourselves to the point where we need to ask for money, (laughs) both in a coffee shop 
and virtually to uh, support this podcast. Hey, busking is a perfectly fine thing to do. But for people like you who aren't here in the moment, we have to give you another option, which is a virtual tip jar. So if you want to support us, you want us to be able to keep making episodes like this one, then you can check out the link in the description and drop us a few bucks, just like the people here. I mean, the study group over there was nice enough to contribute. Even the guy playing guitar, busking himself over in the corner. Super, super cool dude. We, we must be the most annoying people in here. This guy's trying to play guitar and we're doing a podcast over him. But, you know, we fit in wherever we go. And who knows where you'll see us next week. All right, so now we're going to hop back into this. Um, and this is kind of the point where I was I was bringing up earlier that I, I feel like the Israelites finally start to see Joshua taking on this leadership role that Moses uh, was taking. So we're, we're we're looking into chapters three and four at this point. Yeah, I mean, I can't help but think about the power dynamics that are going on here, right? You have Moses, who led these people for a long time. They spent 40 years in the wilderness. I mean, so at least that, if not before, obviously, because he was the, also the one that led them out of Egypt. These people are just really tied to the guy. And yeah. If you've been in any organization, church, family, business, where a leader has been there for a long time and then there's a vacancy for one reason or another, it's weird and awkward. And you're not kind of sure where everybody's at on whoever the new person is that's going to. And sometimes there's a dispute about who the new person might be. So from the beginning of Joshua, it's clear that God has chosen Joshua to be the new person, but I can't help but try to put myself in the Israelites' shoes and and think that they may be wondering if that's really what needs to be done. Wondering if he's really the person who should be leading them. I mean, on one hand, you go, well, he was Moses' assistant. He probably knows as good as anyone else what's going on. But I also know just being a human, you're like, he's, he's just his assistant. You know what I mean? Like he, he is not cut out for this. The, uh, the, the personal assistant does not need to be the CEO. Sure. Sure. Uh, I, so well, I can imagine there's some doubt there. Yeah. I mean, Moses is through God doing all of these incredible things. And, and now Joshua is put into this role and it's like, okay, how, how are you going to, how are you going to fill the shoes of Moses is basically, I think, the thought mm-hmm. going through everybody's mind uh, at this point. Yeah, I mean, I also imagine for Joshua, that probably leads to some insecurity that you have to struggle through and, and wrestle with. Uh, and I think maybe that's a big reason, as we talked about last week, that his main command to Joshua is be strong and strong courageous. Strong and courageous, yeah. Because uh, you're going to need it. Uh, <laughs> but also because you're not reliant on your own skills. You're reliant on, on God. Yeah. So you're exactly right. That's kind of what we're setting up here in this story. Chapters 3 and 4, uh, the spies come back. They say, hey, we figured out these dudes are scared of us. They are shaking in their boots. And they say, truly the Lord has given the land into our hands. So that's really all we need to hear. One thing we also said in the last episode is that it's a mark of this generation that they need to be obedient, whereas the previous generation wasn't. They weren't scared, so they didn't do what God wanted them to do. And so they are 
going to do that. They consecrate themselves. They're ready. It's like, we, we know what we're doing. We're going forward to take this land, and they get ready to cross the Jordan. Here's the thing. If you ever played Oregon Trail, it's not super simple <laughs> to get a group of people across a river. Uh, they don't have a bunch of boats. They don't really have probably the time material to build boats. They're not necessarily boat people. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so you, if you're in Oregon Trail, you you try to walk across it. You try or to get dysentery. <laughs> try to turn your wagon into a boat, which is weird, uh, or you drown. And so, of course, God has some instructions for Joshua about how he is to do this, but they're also just pretty reliant on God that he's going to get him across this thing. Yeah. And one thing God says to Joshua before it all goes down is he says, today I begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that I, that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. That kind of hints at this idea that we've been talking about, which is God knows that he's put Joshua there and Joshua knows that God has put him there, but the people of Israel may not be so sure. They need to be shown that this dude's the real deal. So he kind of gives the instructions God has given them. A part of that is the priests are carrying this Ark of the Covenant out in front of the people, and that's what they do. They're walking up to the water, and as soon as they go to stick a foot in, the river parts. One side of it mm. just stops moving, and the other side gets out of their way, and they walk across on dry land, as you can probably see, just like Moses did. Just yeah. like the Red Sea scenario we're seeing, just as God was with Moses, now he's with Joshua, and he's going to do the same kind of feats. And so that whole thing's a, a real testament to the people uh, they know Joshua didn't do that on his own. They know God did it for him. So therefore, they know God must be in favor of, you know what I mean? He, he must be blessing yeah. Joshua's leadership of them in some way. Yeah, and this is the part where I was saying earlier, I, it points to Moses uh, going across the, the sea and then Joshua here crossing the water, uh, the water parting again. And then when we look at Jesus at this point where finally his followers are starting to like realize he's the Messiah, I mean, he's just straight walking across water, right? <laughs> I mean, we see a lot of interactions with water, but yeah. uh, I, I just, I think that's, it just makes it really interesting for me to see all these connections going about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's actually not where the river piece stops. So after they walk through, God's like, well, hold, I got something else for you. And that's, I want you to get the 12 tribes together. I want them to each go and get some stones from the riverbed. Like not something, they're not scuba diving for these. This only happens because they were able to walk across. Yeah. And they build a memorial. And the memorial is for two things. The memorial is for, as Israel is often commanded, remember what happened here. Right? You need to you need to tell your kids and your kids' kids this is how God provided for us. This is how God did something powerful in order for us to know that he's gonna fulfill his promise. And so they build this memorial, they he tells them, Tell your kids what this is about, but it's also kind of alluded to this is so other people, just as we saw how 
Uh, Jericho is scared because of what God has done. This is for other people to see. Listen, this is not your run-of-the-mill little G, little G God. This, this is the real deal. This yeah. dude is in control of creation, which we later see hinted at in Jesus too. And so the whole point, again, is to point us to Christ, and that's through Joshua's obedience that he brought the people into the promised land. He did what God told him to do. They were able to cross the river. And that immediately we should think, oh, that's an allusion to Christ. Christ was obedient, and through his obedience are we able to enter the promised land. That's the only way. Um, And so we see this even really specifically in Jesus' baptism, which is, guess what? Also at the Jordan River. (laughs) Just like Joshua went into the river and it parted, Jesus goes into the river. It doesn't part, but I don't know, the sky splits open. (laughs) Right? And so, and Jesus talks about how this is an act to complete obedience, not just his, but also ours that we inherit. And God opens up and he says, just kind of in a similar way to where he's showing Joshua to the people as like, hey, this is my leader that that I'm putting before you. He's looking at Jesus and this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Before he's done anything, quote unquote, important, this is my guy. I want you to pay attention. Yeah, that that's a really cool relation to to see uh, with the the Jordan River. kind of be, being in both stories and being centered around this idea of obedience to God. Mm-hmm. Um, so from from there, we go through all of these amazing things. And now we get to this point um, where they've they've crossed the Jordan. Mm-hmm. And that that is symbolic of a couple of things. Right. And, and one of it being like, hey, this is kind of a this is a new movement. Like Joshua's mm-hmm. in charge now. Um there Moses Moses has departed and the older generation um is is beyond we're beyond the wilderness now yeah. right yeah uh so what does this look like going forward because there is change that takes place with all this yeah i mean so, so you're exactly right i mean we we see in exodus that the older generation's kind of cursed to die off in the wilderness uh and as you just mentioned that's even kind of true for Moses because at the end he doesn't get to cross the river and and head into the promised land. So Joshua is not only a new Moses, but he's even a better Moses in some ways. He's able to do this thing that, that Moses wasn't, but because this is a new generation, we kind of need to re up some stuff here, if that makes sense. Right? So when they were in the desert uh, or the wilderness, rather after they came out of Egypt, there was this huge thing at Mount Sinai where God was basically like, you're my people, I'm your God. This is what we're doing here. And now, as this is a new generation, and they're getting ready to finally go into the promised land, they're kind of reinstating that. It's it's always been true, but they're stopping, and they're remembering. And two things happen there. One, they circumcise themselves, just like the previous generation. But clearly, the fact that it's mentioned here in the story we can kind of assume, okay, there was some of the younger generation, maybe all of the younger generation, who hadn't yet done the same thing. And so God is saying, I'm continuing this covenant. I am going to fulfill my promise. So 
you need the same sign as the people that I made the covenant with once we came out of Egypt. So they do it, which again is a sign of obedience that they are behaving in some way that maybe the previous generation hadn't. And then after that, it literally says after they're healed, which uh, kind of gives me the squirmies of like, oh yeah, that's a real <laughs> thing that they did. And it takes some time to recover from that. Uh, <laughs> I'm a little squeamish. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> but then they celebrate Passover, which again is this ceremonial thing that reminds them of something in the past. It reminds them of some promise or uh, feat that God did, really both. And as they celebrate the Passover, they actually, now being in the beginning of the promised land, they eat of the land. In the wilderness, they had only been provided this manna because there wasn't anything. And so God had to kind of supernaturally make manna fall from heaven. But now they're tasting the first fruits of what God has for them. They eat of the fruit of the land, the produce of the land, and then the manna stops. And so, as you said, it's this perfect segue into this is a a new venture we're on. It's really a continuation of the same story, but it's kind of this milestone. It's the next step, yeah. Now we're in this era. Which, just hearing that at that moment, the manna ceased, to me, that is just, it's still so cool to look back and see that, see how God provided. Yeah. Like in the midst of everything they were going through, being in the wilderness, being disobedient, God, God provided because he had a plan, right? And yeah. he knew that Joshua would be able to, to succeed and, and move forward with it. And that, yeah, just another great kind of point to mark like, yep, we're moving on. We're moving mm-hmm. forward here. Yeah. And so that's them looking back, right? They're remembering these things. God has done. And then the last section of chapter five, it's, it's them looking forward. Um, they're, they're now going to war. That, that is how this whole thing carries itself out. And so Joshua, it says he's near Jericho. So I don't know if, again, he's kind of like scoping out what's going on or if they're just preparing uh, for battle or whatever. He has this weird encounter with a guy. It's kind of just thrown into the story. Kind of almost seems like out of nowhere. This dude walks up to him and he has his sword drawn. So Joshua defensively is kind of like, what's going on here? Are you with me or are you against me? Are you with us or are you against us? And the guy says, no. <laughs> 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 which, <laughs> which I love. It's like, you, want, you want fries or tater tots? No. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's my favorite uh, line. Anyway, of, of these chapters, just no. He's, he continues, though, and he says, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Mm. Which is kind of tricky, right? Because if you're Joshua, you're like, I thought I was the commander of the army of the Lord. <laughs> yeah, I thought that's what I was doing here. But that kind of provides this revelation for Joshua, and he falls down and he worships. Because what Joshua realizes in that moment is, this isn't about me. Yeah. This isn't about me being the leader or me being this conqueror or any of that stuff. This isn't about all these worldly things. God is doing something, and it's much less about whether he's on our side or against us, or are we on his side? 
Yeah. yeah. That's the point. We I gave my gave away my little quote in last week's episode when I said they're not really warriors, they're witnesses. They're not necessarily there <laughs> to, to fight the battles and be crazy strong. They're just there to see what God's going to do and they just kind of get to be involved. Uh yeah. it's like when toddlers want to help. Uh <laughs> it's like you're not really doing any of the work, but like I'll I'll let you be involved. And so the whole point that this kind of odd encounter is making is God has a plan, God has a purpose, God has a promise, and it's really whether or not we can be strong and courageous to be with him in that plan, purpose, and promise, not if we can do what we want to do and get God on our side or maybe even have to try to get around God because we want something that he doesn't want for us. So if we look at the three images that have happened in chapter five here, we see circumcision that reminds them that God has prompt. He had, he already made that covenant. And when he did, he said, Hey, we're going to be in this land. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. This has been promised. The Passover reminds them that God has protected them. So as they're getting ready to go into war, they remember that God's wrath passed over them. And then thirdly, this commander scenario reminds them that God's the one fighting. Yeah. I am the commander of the army of the Lord, meaning I'm the one leading the battle here, not you guys. And so as someone who's preparing to go risk their life, you can imagine how these three things are very key to where their head is at, where their heart is at as they step forward in faith. Yeah, I I love all of that. Man, that that section on with the commander of the Lord's army. It <clears throat> one it makes me laugh like like you said when he says no, but but yeah, it is just it gives a lot of perspective into things in my own life where I think maybe I don't say it out loud, but I'll unintentionally think like God, whose side are you on in this? Like yeah. like why are these things happening to me? Like are are you really here to help me in the sense and not not in a not saying that in a way of like god i don't trust or believe in you but i just you you have those moments sometimes where you're like what's happening and i think this is a good reminder that our focus should be what am i doing for you uh as opposed to what are you doing for me <laughs> yeah i mean there's like dirty little secret in the bible sometimes <laughs> that there's a few places where it says something to the effect of uh, I'm, I would butcher any of the verses if I try to quote them off the top of my head, but it says something to the effect of, if you put your faith in the Lord, if you follow the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart, right? And what he's not saying there is you can use God, you can trick God into getting what you want. What he's saying there is if you grow in godliness and Christ-likeness and you stay close to the God of the universe— your desires are going to be things he wants to give you. Your yeah. desires are going to be things he's promised. Your desires are going to be things God would have for you. And so it's not necessarily, oh, I can get all the things I want if I just you know do my checklist. But it's more about yeah. I can become the kind of person I should become. And that kind of person is the one who's much more concerned with what God yeah. would have for me than what I would have for me. Yeah. And so I say it's a dirty little secret, not because we're ashamed of it or anything, but I think 
in evangelistic tendencies, sometimes we may be a little bashful about that because sure. we, we want people to to find Christianity appealing, maybe. Uh, and I certainly feel that way. And I, I don't, I'm not saying we should make it unappealing. <laughs> let, me, <laughs> let me say that. But we shouldn't give people the wrong impression. Yeah. Uh, and it's still good news that they will be made new. Yeah, well, I, we see it with Joshua, right? I mean, God, God is telling him from the beginning of this, be strong and courageous, and you know, I'm going to be by your side always. Mm-hmm. And we talked a little bit about that meaning, like put your trust in God, rely that God, rely on God that He is going to to help with these things. But I, I think when we're seeing him interact with the commander here, we're seeing that maybe all of that, maybe in Joshua's head, he's like. Yeah, we're we're defeating. Like we're winning these battles. This is gr- and that's that's where his mindset's at. Like in the war itself, mm-hmm. and now we're seeing exactly what you're saying with with the right impression being laid out before him. Joshua's not running. Like it is. It's more appealing. He falls to his knees and is worshiping. Right. Yeah. So I I I think that's a great uh, correlation to our own lives. I think. When we are doing things for the right reason, for God, um, we're going to fall to our knees in worship. I just think that's so cool. I digress a lot on that. I apologize. That's okay. (laughs) Well, let's wrap up. But as we've looked at the other two stories at the end, we've kind of said, hey, this points us to Jesus. So let's just reiterate the ways in which it does that. Uh, Yeah. Just like Israel was circumcised in their body, God circumcises our heart. Again, we're, we're made new. We're given a heart of flesh instead of the heart of stone that we have. Um, the same way that Passover shows that they were protected from uh, the wrath of God or death, we're protected from those same things by the blood of Christ, right? We no mm-hmm. longer need to fear death because we know that's not the end for us. And then lastly, this commander shows them that God's going to fight for them and we can really see Christ in that too because a couple of things. One, Christ is asking us to go to war in some ways. I always want to try to be careful with war metaphors because I feel like we can take it too far. Yeah. Um, but the Bible uses them, and so we have to acknowledge that. And God is calling us into a war. He's not calling us into like, hey, go conquer countries and make people be Christians. But it's a spiritual war. I mean, the New Testament says it's mm-hmm. not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and, and all that. So we're in this spiritual battle for our neighbors. We want people to know Christ and love Christ, and that's part of what we've been called to do, to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, not killing anybody, not enslaving anybody, baptizing them and teaching them. So yeah. in one way, we've been called into the war by Christ. And the other way, he's already won. <laughs> like the same way the, this angel of the Lord is kind of saying, Hey, I am here to command the army, essentially saying, God is going to do this, which means it's as good as done. And for us, yeah. it is as good as done. Christ has already conquered death and taken our sin on the cross. Now, we live in this already but not yet whereas he hasn't returned and we still have to live with the effects of sin and our own sin and the sins of other people in our daily life but we know that one day that's gone we know that one day we live in new heaven and new earth and new jerusalem and there are no more tears or pain or sin or strife 
And so we don't have to be afraid, right? Yeah. Just like I said with, with circumcision, we don't have to be afraid of death. Like we know that God's already won the war. And so we have no reason to be afraid to combat sin in our lives, to push back darkness in the communities around us, to take the light as fast and far as we can and help other people see this great news about Jesus and what he's done. I love it. I I hope that you guys, um, as always, have enjoyed listening through this as much as we've enjoyed discussing it. Uh, We got a lot of things going on with Bible and stuff right now. If you follow us at all across the spectrum of social media, we've got a lot of videos that are coming out. We're trying a lot of new things. We mentioned earlier that we're trying to work on some extra content. Um, So if you're curious, reach out to us about it. We want to be able to share more uh, with you, get your feedback. Um, But Tanner, why don't you tell them where they can check out some of that stuff more? Sure. So one aside, you're absolutely right. We're working on a lot of stuff. And I think we've said we're working on a lot of stuff a couple of times. But I mean, like, we're actually getting there. Yeah. We're putting <laughs> I want it to out now. Reassure <laughs> you that one, you can actually see some of it now. And two, we're actually a lot closer on a lot of other things that we're very, very excited to show you. But we're just not quite ready to say too much about it yet. <laughs> uh, so rest assured. The other part is normally I would say you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or you can email us directly at hello at bibleandstuff.com. But today I'm going to say, as Glenn hinted at, if you want to go see some of the stuff we're working on putting out, go to our YouTube channel. We have actually put some stuff on it now. Uh, some of it's clips from this podcast. So if there's a part you like, you may be able to find it there and share it with someone so they can just see a short snippet as opposed to having to set through a whole episode where sometimes Tanner talks way too much. Um, (laughs) but we've also done some shorts, um, that are what we call Bible bites. There's 60 seconds or less on an idea in the Bible or a particular story and kind of what we've pulled out of that and can manage to fit in that short time frame. But we're really proud of them. I think they look really good. Glenn's done a really good job on the video piece of that. And so they would probably be something you enjoy if you like this long version <laughs> of them. Uh, but there also be a great thing for you to share with your friends and and start conversations with, yeah, if that's something that you're into. Awesome. Well, guys, stick around with us as we continue to go through this series on Joshua. Uh, like we said, we have a few more episodes that we're going to be finishing up the rest of... Uh, yeah, just like eight. The, eight. It'll probably only be <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we'll finish up the rest of these chapters uh, and hopefully put a nice, neat little bow on the end, wrapping it all up. Uh, so yeah, check it out. And until next time... Peace. The Bible and Stuff podcast is a production of Bible and Stuff. We do more than just podcasts, so if you want to know more about something we've covered on the show, just visit our website at bibleandstuff.com. Our show is hosted by Tanner Britt and Glenn Brand, and our theme music is by The Sing Team. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>